preacher was weaving in and out of traffic as if he were drunk. And a policeman stopped him and, and said, Preacher, you're weaving as if you are drunk. And the preacher responded, Oh, I, I wouldn't do that. And the policeman asked, Well, what's that bottle in the brown bag? And he reached in, the policeman reached in and grabbed the bottle and he smelt it and he said, Preacher, that's wine. And the preacher said, It is? He says, How wonderful. The Lord has done it again. He says, Yeah. 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 It's not the first time he turned water into wine, right? This uh, little humorous story reminds me of what a little girl once said in her Sunday school class. A lie is an abomination unto the Lord and an ever-present help in time of trouble. Right? We often do that. When we get in tight spots, we get into trouble, we have a, a habit of concealing the truth. Lying seems like it's a very present help in time of trouble, doesn't it? But it'll backfire on you and on me, and it'll turn a blessing into a curse, and you'll live to hate it. Uh, this is true in the story we're going to read today in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 to Genesis chapter 13, verse 4. It's the story of Abraham. If there was a person in the Bible who was known for his faith, it was Abram. He was a man known for his faith and his trust in God. This was evident at the very beginning of chapter 12, which we're not going to look at, but God had appeared or made known uh, his will to Abram. He told Abram, he says, I want you to do this, Abram. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your, your, your family. And then I want you to leave your father's house. And I want you to go to a land that I will show you. There I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse the one who curses you. And in you, all the descendants, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. And Abraham, Abram, goes. He doesn't know where he's going. God asked him to leave his country, his, his clan, and his father's house. And with each instruction, it becomes harder for Abram to obey. It's a lot easier for Abram to leave his country than it would be to leave his clan because of the relationships that he would have had in his family clan. And then when God tells him to leave his father's house, well, that would have been diff more difficult than to leave his clan because of the family relationships within his father's house. And so with each instruction, with each uh, command to leave and depart something, it becomes harder for Abram to obey, especially when he doesn't know where he's going. But he does so, obediently, faithfully. Abram obeys God's word. And as he does so, he comes to the land of Canaan. And as he comes to the land of Canaan, God reveals himself to Abram. It's the first theophany in the Bible, a manifestation of God. He does it to Abram. And he tells Abram, to your descendants, I will give you this land. That's what he said. Abram did not know that at, when he first left, but as he was faithful, God continued to reveal more of his will to Abram. 
And he said, to your descendants, I'm going to give you this land. Abram didn't know that before. He knows it now. And as a result, he builds an altar, and there he worships the Lord between Bethel and Ai. And he calls on the name of the Lord, which is a technical way of saying in the, in the patriarchal narratives that he worships the Lord. So here we see a man of faith. He's been walking with God. He's obedient to what God has said to him. And now we're going to see that Abram is no longer going to act in faith in this section of Scripture. He's no longer going to be walking in faith. And so I ask myself the question, why would someone who is clearly committed to doing God's will and is obedient and is demonstrating great faith in his life in this section of Scripture no longer act faithfully? Why does he do that? What would cause a person who has faith in the Lord to waver in his or her faith? What would cause you to waver in your faith in the Lord Jesus? Abram was known as a great man of faith, and he wavers. What would cause him to waver? And what would cause him to lie? Because that's what he's going to do. He's going to lie. And he's going to come up with a, a deceptive scheme, which is going to be in an indication that he's not going to be walking by faith. So why does he lie? Why does Abram here come up, come up with this and devise this deceptive scheme? Well, Abram's deceptive scheme is, first of all, was precipitated by a crisis in his life. Okay? Abram's deceptive scheme was precipitated, his lie would be precipitated by a crisis in his life. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. There's a famine in the land. That's a crisis. A famine is what? It's the state of needing something that is absent or unavailable. There's a, for example, there's a serious lack of insight into the problem. It's an acute inefficiency. Okay? Uh, that's a famine, a crisis, a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. If there's something that's going to cause people who believe in the Lord Jesus to suddenly waver, it's going to be a crisis, a time of great difficulty, a, a, a challenging time that will cause that to happen. So Abram is fine with his faith until all of a sudden a crisis comes, and now he's going to begin to waver in his faith. And what does he do? He feels like he has to go down to Egypt. Why does he go to Egypt for? The, the Lord doesn't, apparently doesn't say anything to him, go to Egypt. The scripture doesn't say it's bad or good. Some people will say that, his, that because there's silence, that God never told him not to go to Egypt, he should have never went. And in hindsight, it looks like he should have never went. But People in those days, in the midst of a famine, would often go to Egypt because it was low-lying and you had the Nile River. The Nile River would often flood. It would create a habitation uh, where more vegetation, more food, more crops. It would be good for your animals, be good for you, instead of staying in the high lands of Canaan. So he goes down to Egypt. Why would he go down to Egypt? Obviously for food. But he begins to waver in his faith when the crisis comes. 
And that's true of any one of us. Now, think about it. Um, God calls Abram to go to a land that I will show you. He goes to Canaan, and the Lord says, this is the land that I'm going to give your descendants. And no sooner he says that, there's a famine there. Now, I wonder if Abram expected a famine to be in the land that, that God had promised him into, into his descendants. I don't know if he would have. It seems rather strange. I think if I, was, if I was Abram and God told me to go to a particular place and I'm going to bless you there, and as soon as I get there, I'm in a famine, a severe famine, I would begin to question whether or not, you know, can God really provide for my needs? Maybe I have to go down to Egypt and provide for my own needs. If, you know, back in those days, gods were known to be rulers of particular geographical locations. And if God brought me to a land of promise, and now that land of promise is barren, well, maybe God isn't as powerful as I thought he was. So I'll go down to Egypt and maybe try to manage my life my own way, and which we're all tempted to do. Like Abram, we often find ourselves in a difficult spot. And it's the crisis, the intensity of our uh, situations in life that can cause us to question God and his faithfulness towards us and will tempt us to take the reins of our own lives ourselves. We'll do it my way. So that is going to uh, precipitate uh, his lie is that it's, he's in the midst of a crisis and it causes him to go to Egypt, okay? Now, his lie is, and his deceptive scheme is, is based on some elements that we see in his life when he goes close to Egypt. The first thing I want to notice uh, to share with you about his deceptive, his deceptive scheme is that it was based on what he saw, Abram's deceptive scheme, his plan, was based on what he saw in verse 11. It came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance, of beautiful appearance. Now there's Abram walking to Egypt. He's going to Egypt, and he knows something about Egypt. The culture. He's going there as an immigrant, doesn't have any protection. It's just him and his wife and whatever he has, okay? And he knows that the Egyptian culture viewed divorce as the worst of sins. They, it was a very, uh, it was a transgression that the people in that culture in Egypt would not do. And Abram's aware of it. And so when he gets close to Egypt, He's paying attention to his wife's physical appearance and notice that she's very, very beautiful. What's interesting is that she's 65 years old here around that time period. And you say, come on. I mean, really? 65 years old? Well, it's true that you can be beautiful physically at 65 years old. I, huh? You can. I, you can. I'm not saying it can't happen. People say it can, it can happen. I looked at a photo yesterday of Chrissy Brinkley, and she's still pretty at 66 years old. But 
So some people get caught up on that. But, you know, let's, I think we need to remember that uh, in that culture, beauty uh, had other factors that were incorporated into it than just simple physical beauty. Okay? And so we want to just, we think of beauty and we just think of physical appearance. And of course, Abram was focused on her physical appearance. But there were other factors as well that makes a person beautiful. But here, Abram was focused on her physical appearance. And what he's doing is the exact opposite of what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.7. What does it say there? We ought to live by faith, not by sight. Abram is walking to Egypt with his wife, or maybe riding on a camel or whatever, and he's walking by sight, not by faith. If he's walking by faith, what difference does it make what she looks like? It doesn't matter. But he's walking by sight, not by faith. And he's focused on her physical appearance as he goes. Number two, he, his, his deceptive scheme was motivated by his fear. Verse 12, therefore it will happen, he says, when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. He's concerned about what they're going to do to him once they see her. Because they have such a high uh, regard for marital faithfulness, if they see her and they find out she's married to him, well, they won't commit adultery with her. They'll just kill him and take her. So apparently they didn't think too high of murder. But they did with adultery. But we see that he's fearful. He's afraid that they're going to kill him. Well, if he believes in God and his word, and God's word to him was what? You're going to have many descendants. In this land of Canaan, I'm going to give you many descendants. Well, apparently he's not taking God at his word because if he really believed that God was going to provide for him an heir, then God would have to keep him alive. But he, he doesn't think so, apparently. And he's afraid. He's, again, not walking by faith, but by fear. And thirdly, we see in verse 13, Abram's deceptive scheme was centered on self-preservation, self-centeredness. Verse 13, he says, Please say you're my sister. There's your lie. Hide the truth. It was a half-truth because he was, she was his sister, half-sister. So it was a half-lie. Please say you're my sister, that it may be what? Well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. He's focused on himself. He's not worried about the consequences of his wife and how she feels. Now, the text doesn't say what she, how she was thinking about all of this. Many believe that she was complicit because she doesn't say anything. She goes along with it. And in that culture, what was a woman going to do? For her to, to survive, she had to be with a man. And so we see here that Abram's deceptive scheme was based on what he saw. It was motivated by fear, and it was focused on the self. And whenever we find ourselves in the midst of a crisis, that's exactly what we are tempted to do. We no longer walk by faith. We start focusing on what's going on around us. Isn't that true? Peter did the same thing when he wanted Jesus, uh, commanded Peter to walk on the water. Come to me. And as soon as he started getting his focus off of his Lord and on the surrounding storm around him, down he went. 
That's what we do. We ju- we're just like Abram. We get into a crisis. God may test our faith in the crisis, and oftentimes we respond just like he does. We focus on what we see, we become fearful, and then we get focused on ourselves. And other people around us become secondary. It's almost like just a natural response. It's just what we do. We're broken people. So we're just like Abram. This is how a person who is a faithful person becomes unfaithful. Whenever we get ourselves into a bind, this is oftentimes how we respond. And we all, how many of us have never lied before? Did we ever not have a deceptive scheme? If you never were dishonest, raise your hand. You raise your hand. (laughs) This is the first time then, huh? (laughs) We all know what it's like to be in a tight place. And we all will kind of give... Well, listen, we've all been in a tight space and we say things like this. No, I really love potato sausage. I'm just full. Oh, the check is in the mail when you know it's not in the mail. You say, I'm sorry, the boss isn't in because the boss tells you to say to the other person who calls, I'm not in. So now you're putting a, what do you do? Do you do what the boss tells you to do, or do you lie to your boss and say, oh, no, here's my boss, right? What do you do? I'd love to come to your daughter's recital. I just have a funeral that's a month sometime. No, I'm not sleeping during the sermon. I'm just resting my eyes. I hear that all the time. Just resting your eyes. Or you could say, like the pre, well, my speedometer must be off, I guess, right? But this is what we do. When we're put in a tight spot, we're not always honest. This is what Abram is teaching us. This is what he's illustrating for us. He lies and becomes unfaithful and was dishonest. Now watch what happens as a result of his dishonest, his deceptive scheme. The result of Abram's deceptive scheme made him successful materially. Verses 14 to 16. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princess of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And he, the Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake. And he, Abram, had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. You say, what's going on here? Abram has now just received a dowry, a a price for a bride. The Pharaoh isn't going to negotiate with anybody. For you see... Why would Abram, first of all, say, she's my sister? Why would he even make that up? What would be the significance and the purpose of saying to the Egyptians, oh, tell tell the Egyptians you're my sister? What does he gain from that? By saying that, by telling his wife to tell the Egyptians to say, you're my sister, by saying that he was her brother, he's saying that it, it, it... 
because there was no father there, he would be the one who would have to negotiate any potential suitor who wanted her as a wife. And he may have wanted to try to keep his wife by saying to any potential suitor, well, let me negotiate a price with you. Make that negotiation so steep that any potential suitor would not be interested anymore. And thus he would maintain his, his, his wife without having to give her away. Okay? But what he never considered was that Pharaoh finds out about her beauty and he wants her. And guess what? He's the Pharaoh. So there's going to be no negotiation here. When Pharaoh wants, Pharaoh takes. And so he just took her. Right? And so, as custom, you, Pharaoh gives, this, uh, gives Abram a, a, a bride, a price for a bride. And as a result, he became wealthy. He became very wealthy because of his deceitful scheme. And deceitful schemes and to lie does have a benefit to it. It was a material benefit, and it was an immediate benefit, but it was a benefit nonetheless. I read a story that uh, when Italy's uh, mandatory use of seatbelts went into effect on April the 27th, 1989, entrepreneur Claudio Chiarovolo cashed in Dr. Chiarovolo, a psychiatrist in Naples, invented a security shirt. It consists of, white, of a white t-shirt with a diagonal black stripe designed to deceive the police into believing the motorist was buckled up. And he made a fortune. It pays, right? There's a short-term uh, advantage to lying. And he was successful as a result. He was, materials, materi- he, he was successful in gaining material wealth. I don't believe that was his goal. It just came with the deception. But it happened. And it's interesting to note that he may have had short-term material success, but he had a long-term consequences in his relationship with his wife that was going to be negative. Because if you pay attention uh, to what he received, he received um, female servants. And many scholars believe this is how Abram and Sarai ended up getting Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant, right? And what happened over time? They didn't have a son, and Sarai had the idea, here, take Sarai, my maidservant, and have a child with her, and it'll be ours. And what happened? They ended up having a child, Abram and, Ish- Abram and uh, Hagar had a child, Ishmael. And what happened when Ishmael was born? There was jealousy between Sarai and Hagar. And Sarai went to Abram and said, it's your fault. All of that strife resulted because of a lie that Abram told his wife when he told his wife to tell the Egyptians, you're my sister. That's what happened. In fact, that lie is still manifesting itself in our own day. Because the relationship between Hagar and Abram brought forth Ishmael. And Ishmael's descendants were what? The Arab people. And when Abram and Sarai later had Isaac, Isaac's descendants became the Jewish people. And so you had the Arabs and the Jews, and they've been fighting ever since, even to this very day. So the very root 
of the Arab-Israeli conflict stems from Abram's decision to go to Egypt and to tell his wife, tell them you're my sister. Which tells us that, yeah, deception may have short-term advantages, but we, do not be able, we will not be able to control the outcome of those deceptions later on in life. And it's going to have a far-reaching effect more than we'll ever know on this side of eternity when we decide to deceive and not trust in God and His plan for our lives. So... The immediate result of Abram's deceptive scheme made him successful materially. Next, we see that the result of Abram's deceptive scheme made him unsuccessful spiritually. Verses 17 to 20. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Did you hear what happened? Pharaoh is rebuking Abram. What was God's initial promise to Abram? You will be a blessing. You will be a blessing to people all over the world. In you, the whole world will be blessed. Let me ask you this. Was Abram a blessing here? No, he was not. It was because of Abram that the Pharaoh was cursed. Abram's testimony was terrible. He gave a bad testimony and a bad witness concerning the God who called him out of his homeland. Pharaoh was rebuking Abram's ethical behavior. Why did you lie to me? Why did you say that she was your sister when she was your wife the whole time? You lied to me. You had a pagan king rebuking God's servant. And whenever the people in this world out there look at us who are Christians and are rebuking us for our conduct, there's something wrong with us spiritually. Isn't that true? This is what happens when we have deceptive schemes. This is not easy for Abram because all of this was as a result of a crisis being put between a rock and a hard place. God wants to test Abram and to grow his faith, but we see here that he's not doing a very good job. Abram is not walking by faith here. And it's a challenge for all of us that when God tests us and we face the famines in our lives, how are we going to respond in the midst of it? And we will be prone and tempted to walk by uh, sight and not by faith, to have fear rule over us, the uncertainty of whether or not God is going to keep his promises to us. Abram needed to grow, and he had lost his faith in a sense. And that's something that we can all identify with. Because when things happen to us, in a relationship, in a marriage, crisis comes. There's a famine, a famine of love, a famine of intimacy, of communication, of affection. Where do you go when that happens? You start looking outward. 
You get all kinds of ideas in your mind, and before you know it, you're, you're walking away from the Lord. And famines come to all of us. But here we see Abram, a man who has a long way to go with his faith and his trust in his God. But what does this teach us about our God and our relationship with him? There's two things I just want to point out. Number one, that when we lose faith in times of difficulty, God will still be faithful to us no matter what. God will still be faithful to us even when in the difficult times and we find it very difficult for us to trust in him. God will still be faithful. Did you ever ask yourself why he plagued Pharaoh? Why does God plague Pharaoh? Why does he plague him? I mean, it seems like Pharaoh's getting the raw, the, wrong, uh, the, the raw end of the deal here. He was duped by Abram, right? I mean, he, it wasn't his fault. Abram was dishonest with him. So why is he plaguing Pharaoh? Well, what was God's promise to Abram? You're going to have descendants. You're going to your descendants are going to have land. And because Pharaoh had taken Abram's wife, how is he going to have children? And the only way that God's promise to Abram will be kept, God's word will be kept, is if Pharaoh gives his daughter back, uh, gives uh, Abram's wife back. That's the only way. And so he plagues Pharaoh to make sure that Pharaoh will return his wife so that God's word will be kept. God plagued Pharaoh in order to ensure that his promise to Abraham will be fulfilled. Because if God's word is not fulfilled here, then anything he says in the rest of the Bible is irrelevant. Because God's word can't be trusted. God operates in this way to ensure that his word will always be faithful. That his purposes will, be, will come to fruition. And this tells me that even when God's people are unfaithful in times of famine, in times of great difficulty, God will still be faithful in spite of our unfaithfulness. And we see that in the life of Abram. Abram was not faithful, but God will remain faithful. And we see that in how he dealt with Pharaoh. Secondly, we, when we lose faith in times of difficulty, God will give an opportunity for us to start all over again. Verses chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. This is interesting because when he first came into the land of Canaan and God revealed to him that your descendants are going to own this land, he pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai. That's where he was before this whole scheme started, okay? Now watch what happens when he leaves Egypt. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Do you see what happened? Abram went full circle. He started there, went south to Egypt, got himself into a big mess when he tried to take control of his own life. God bailed him out because he was gracious, and as a result, he ends up going right back to the same place he was before the test even began. Isn't that good news? 
that even when we falter in our faith, God is giving Abram a do-over, a fresh start. So even though we may falter and fail in our walk with our Lord, especially during times of great testing and trial, God will always allow us to come back and start over again. And he begins to worship the Lord, and it's a whole, a whole new day for, for Abram. And that's an encouraging word for us when we falter and when we fail, especially in the day, times in which we live. Whether it's a national crisis or a personal crisis, God allows us and will, by his grace, to come back to the place where we once started and do it all over again. Because, you know, we don't always get it right the first time. Abram didn't, and neither do we. But because of God's grace, we can go on and do it again. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the story of Abram. And, and we thank you for uh, the biblical characters and their failures and their shortcomings because it shows that they were real people who had real struggles. And we can identify with them because we do are people who struggle. And we are prone to walk away and, and, and not trust you with our lives especially when things are difficult. And Lord, we just are, are grateful that you are a God who always keeps his word no matter what. That in spite of our unbelief and in spite of our um, inability to always be faithful to you, you will always be faithful. And you will bring us back to a place where we can, where we can grow and we can uh, trust you and put our confidence in you Lord, we just pray that wherever we are in our lives today, in our struggles, in our personal lives, there may be places or areas in our life where we're struggling right now as we speak. And, and we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to come back to that place at the beginning where we can put our trust in you and help and, and just simply let you rule our lives and, and do with our lives what you will. Uh, Lord, we know that we're weak. And Abram was weak. We're all weak. But you are strong. And help us to put our confidence in you, walking by faith and not by sight. And Lord, we give you the praise for all that you do in us and through us. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. Amen. God will hold us fast. God held Abram when his faith failed him because he loved Abram. And he was faithful to Abram. And we know that that same God loves you and he loves me. And he will be faithful to us and he will hold us fast as well. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and I will uphold you. And that is true. So in the days and weeks ahead, if you falter in your faith, that's okay. It's okay. God will bring you to a place where you can start over, just like he did with Abram, and he'll give you the strength to go on each day, one day at a time, for he will hold us fast. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go in peace. Amen.